coach, teacher, podcaster, online business owner, and above all, I am constantly dreaming up ways to reimagine education. I provide teachers with tips, tricks, and strategies to transform their classrooms into learning hubs that are filled with creativity, innovation, and discovery. I hope to empower all teachers, no matter what subject they teach, to experiment with innovative learning models and lead their classrooms with 21st century skills. So let's learn and grow together as 21st century educators. This is the EdTech Classroom Podcast. Many of the ideas in today's episode are inspired by two of my favorite teaching blogs written by Jennifer Gonzalez and John Spencer. Please be sure to check out the episode webpage to visit their blogs to learn more about this idea of student blogging projects and celebrate their amazing work. In today's episode, we are bringing blogging into the classroom with student blog projects. Blogging has been one of the most valuable tools that I've had over the past few years. Not just reading blogs, but writing them. Writing blog posts has given me a space to reflect, connect, and grow. To reflect on my own teaching practice. To connect with other educators all over the world. And to grow in my own professional development. And while I do write exclusively about education on my blog, I've surprisingly found blogging to be an escape for me to actually finally have time to explore the topics that I'm genuinely interested in. I think that this is something that probably many educators can relate to, you guys that are listening right now. Oftentimes I feel really weighed down by all these different responsibilities that I have that are pulling me in all these different directions. And blogging has actually been a really great escape for me to really still continue to feel so excited and passionate about education every single day. And I don't mean for this to sound self-important or self-indulgent. In fact, I, I oftentimes actually feel pretty nervous about sharing my ideas online it's a little bit scary to press record and be by myself in a room recording a podcast episode alone to a microphone talking for 30 minutes. So I feel pretty nervous about sharing my ideas online. And in, in a blogging format too, I, I also regularly experience feelings of self-doubt, especially as a young educator who doesn't have decades of classroom teaching experience. So again, I don't mean for this to sound self-important or self-indulgent, but blogging has been a really great way for me to reflect, to connect, and to grow. And as I think about the role of blogging in my own life, I feel really excited by the affordances that blogging may offer our students. 
So in today's episode, we are bringing blogging into the classroom with student blog projects. How many times can I say the word blog? You will hear it quite often in today's episode, I'm sure of it. So in today's episode, I'm sharing ideas for captivating student interest and boosting student engagement with a blogging project. First, I will be sharing a brief history of blogging. Thought that might be fun to share. Then next, we will be talking about the general structure of blogs, how blogs on the internet are structured. Then we will talk specifically about what is student blogging. I'll share some steps to actually launching a student blogging project. And I will even talk about choosing a blogging framework and, of course, give some edtech suggestions in today's episode. So first, let's start off by talking about a brief history of blogging. Now, when I was doing some research for today's episode, I, I realized I, as a blogger, I don't know too much about the actual history of blogging. So I decided to do some Googling and I was pretty surprised by what I found out. So I'm going to share a couple of facts and then we'll move on to the stuff that you guys are probably more interested in. <laughs> so though the exact history of blogging is actually up for debate, many credit Justin Hall, who at the time was a Swarthmore College undergrad, for writing the world's first blog post in 1994. So early on, in this medium's history, most blogs, they were basically diaries. People would share their individual personal musings on life all online. And while blogging definitely at one point in time may have been considered self-indulgent, like I was just talking about, this form of writing has really expanded in value and in popularity. When I first started hearing people talk about blogging in education and how everyone should have a blog, I was kind of like, didn't really think that blogs were all that popular. But now that I occupy this blogging space, I've actually come to realize that pretty much every single website on the internet has a blog. And it's a really great way to expand your reach. So today, blogs, which were actually formerly called web blogs back in 1994, when um, the Swarthmore College undergrad Justin Hall came up with them, blogs now, they offer writers a platform to share their ideas and like I was just saying, expand their reach online. Blogging has even become a career path for many people from mom bloggers to industry and business bloggers to even video bloggers, which are very popular on YouTube and are often called vloggers. I myself have attempted to make a couple vlogs before. I felt a little awkward doing it, but you guys know I love YouTube. And so video blogging is another really great medium for so many people. So that is a brief history of blogging. Now let's actually talk about how blogs are structured. So if you regularly read blogs, this part you might wanna skip through, skip ahead maybe a minute to a minute and a half, but I'm gonna talk about how blogs are actually structured. The more blogs you read, 
the more you'll notice that they oftentimes have a similar structure or formula. Most blogs consist of a series of blog posts dedicated to a certain topic or topics. Most blogs have regularly scheduled posts or articles that go live daily, weekly, or monthly, some sort of consistent schedule. Most blogs also appear in reverse chronological order with newest posts up at the top. And most blogs use categories and tags to filter and connect posts by topic. So I'm gonna share a couple of examples. First, I'm gonna share an example of my blog, and then I will also share an example of a, another blog that I visit quite regularly. So my blog, I share series of blog posts dedicated to a couple of different topics. Typically, I'm focusing on ed tech, project-based learning, or design thinking. General teaching tips sometimes appear on my blog or website as well, but for the most part, the certain topic or topics that I myself focus on are design thinking, project-based learning, and ed tech. So I also shared that most blogs have regularly scheduled posts. I am a smaller blogger, I'm a one-woman show, and I post weekly blog posts every Wednesday morning at 3 a.m. Pacific on my blog. So I have a new post that goes live every Wednesday morning for you guys to check out. So that is the schedule that I personally follow. Now, bigger bloggers, like if you think about big news outlets, for example, they oftentimes are posting blog posts every single day, um, which is great too. So there's a consistent schedule here that most blogs have. Most blogs also appear in reverse chronological order, like I was saying. So the newest posts are always going to be up at the top. So if you're listening to this episode at the time of the recording coming out, you'll find that the top blog post, if you click on EdTech Classroom, then go to the blog tab, you will see that bringing blogging into the classroom with student blog projects is going to be up at the top because it is my most recent blog post. Then most blogs also use categories and tags to filter and connect posts by topic. So like I was saying, I have a couple of different topic areas, PBL, design thinking, ed tech, that I am structuring or that I'm, I'm including regularly on my blog. And I actually categorize these blog posts using what we call categories and tags so that it makes it really easy for you to actually be able to filter and read all of my blog posts that are connected to a specific topic or category. Um, so that's a really handy, handy feature that I didn't really notice until I became a blogger. One example, though, that I was thinking about is I regularly read a blog or visit this blog. I wouldn't say read really, um, but I visit this blog very regularly called Half-Baked Harvest. Some of you guys might have heard it before. It is essentially a recipe blog. Um, it's a cooking blog. There are tons and tons of amazing recipes to check out. So I really love visiting this blog. And oftentimes I will use the categories and tags to be able to filter for specific types of recipes. So in something like a, you know, a cooking blog, maybe you want to see these posts in reverse chronological order. Maybe you want to be really up to date in terms of what's considered seasonal. But other times, maybe you're looking for just a generic recipe, like let's say you're looking for a vegan recipe or something. 
it's really useful to be able to click on one of those categories and tags like vegan to be able to actually filter uh, for all of the the blog posts or all of the recipes that the blogger has um, categoried or tagged as being vegan. So that I think is something that is really useful. So that is the general structure of most blogs. Now let's talk about what actual blog posts look like. So most blog posts, they have a captivating title. The blog post that is accompanying this podcast episode has the same name as the episode, bringing blogging into the classroom with student blog projects. Now that probably could be a little bit more captivating, but I'm doing my best. And so most blog posts, they tend to have a captivating title. Most blog posts, when you're actually inside of them, they have a specific organization to them. So they're oftentimes organized using headers and subheaders. So headers is going to be, you know, like the really big font and a subheader is going to be slightly smaller. And this is just a really useful way to actually organize and format a post. Most blogs also have very short paragraphs. So oftentimes when you are writing in general, you know, you're writing, the paragraphs might be four to six sentences long. In a blog post, the paragraphs are very short. Like we're talking one to two sentences max, very short paragraphs. And oftentimes, even instead of including sentences, blog posts incorporate short lists, like bulleted lists, for example. Most blog posts also incorporate multimedia elements like images and video. These multimedia elements are a really great way to just make a blog look visually more interesting. It's a great way to kind of entice people to stay on the page for even longer. And then lastly, most blog posts also include keywords to help to help optimize, excuse me, the likelihood that the post will appear in a Google search. This is something called search engine optimization or SEO. Now, I as a blogger myself, I actually do incorporate SEO. There are specific keywords that I hope to rank for on Google. So if you type in um, something I'm really proud of, if you type in design thinking in the elementary classroom, I am one of the top posts that appear on Google. And so basically search engine optimization is a strategy that bloggers can do or implement in order to rank higher in a Google search. So that's something that I do myself as a blogger, but that's not necessarily something that students might be doing as part of their student blogging projects, but just something I felt like I wanted to share and mention. So now let's actually talk about what is student blogging. So we just talked about, you know, generally what you see online when you visit a blog. You go to a website, you click on the blog tab, there's a specific structure, then you click on a blog post and that has a specific structure as well. Much like the blogging we see online, student blogs can also have a similar structure. Student blogs might also be dedicated to a specific topic or subject area. Student blogs might also incorporate more casual language than a formal essay, for example. They might have those shorter paragraphs that I was talking about, and they might even be uploaded on a regular basis. Student blogs are also focused on content or writing a collection of blog posts to demonstrate an understanding of a content area. 
I will definitely come back to this idea of student blog posts being a reflection of student understanding of a content area. That's something we're going to come back to throughout this episode. Effective student broad effective student blogging projects also have a set of learning goals or standards. Sorry, you guys, it's the end of the day. I'm a little bit tired. So some of these goals, they may include reading, writing, digital citizenship, multimedia composition, and media literacy skills. So those are some of the many learning goals or standards that you may choose to focus on. But effective blogging projects put learning goals and standards first. They really prioritize those standards. And then lastly, student blogs might also have different audiences depending on factors like student privacy. So student blogs, they may or may not be visible to anyone on the internet. This is a privacy consideration that is ultimately up to you. That's something you will need to decide and depending on visibility, also request guardian consent as well. I will briefly mention that one more time, but please note that this idea of a student blogging project and who the blogs are being made visible to is something that you will need to decide with the families at your school since our students are under 18. Now let's talk about the actual steps to launching a student blogging project. I really want this to be a useful guide for you as you actually launch a project. So I'm gonna I'm gonna really walk you through these four different steps that I've put together, starting with determining learning goals and standards, and then ending with launching your project. So I have four steps. Step number one, again, is to determine your learning goals and standards. Step number two is to choose a blogging framework. Step number three is to plan out the project timeline and logistics. And step number four is to actually launch. So let's go back to step number one, determining your learning goals and standards. To launch a student blogging project, first and foremost, determine your learning goals and standards. What goals, objectives, and standards will be met with this project and how will students be assessed on those standards? I really encourage you to think about those two questions before you start planning your project. Once you've decided those learning goals and standards, you can move on to step number two, which is to choose a blogging framework. So again, once you've chosen those standards, I recommend selecting a blogging framework that will help students actually meet those standards. In just a bit, I am going to share four different blogging frameworks. Some of these are inspired from Cult of Pedagogy and John Spencer, but I'm going to be sharing four different blogging frameworks that you can implement in your classroom. So for example, just to give you a quick sneak peek, if you want your students to practice nonfiction writing, if that is a standard that you've identified, you may want to consider using two of the blogging formats that I'm going to talk about, the news blog or the how-to blog formats. So again, I'll share specific frameworks in a bit, but next again, for step number two, you will choose a blogging framework. 
Then for step number three, plan out the project timeline and logistics. As teachers, we know every project has logistics that need to get sorted out. Some of these logistics might include answering the following questions. What tech tool will students use? What is the start and end date of this project? How often will students update their blogs? What content areas will students write about? How will students be assessed on their blogs? And how will students reflect throughout and at the end of the project? Next, step number four, launch the student blogging project. So let's go back and let's dive into choosing a blogging framework. That was step number two on my list. So I shared this idea of selecting a blogging framework that will help students meet your learning goals and standards. I'm going to be sharing, like I said, four different frameworks to help you get started. First, the news blog. Second, the how-to blog. Third, the genius hour blog. And fourth, the project process blog. First, let's talk about the news blog. Blogs can be a really useful tool to spread information, including newsworthy stories. Students can write what I'm calling news blogs to share school, community, and even global news stories with a specific audience. So by creating a news blog, students will practice skills like research and nonfiction writing. And students can also engage in important conversations around digital citizenship, including media literacy, misinformation, and privacy. So as students, or as an educator, excuse me, you can introduce the news blog to your students by having them engage in some really important conversations. So I put together a couple of questions that you can use to help launch this project. First, how do people access, evaluate, create, and manipulate media? Second, how do people determine fact versus fiction online? What responsibilities do journalists have? And third, who is our audience? Will our posts be private? So that means accessible to the author or the student only. Will our posts be semi-private? accessible to small groups or to the teacher, semi-public, accessible to the whole school or other classes, or public, accessible to the entire world. These are some really useful questions that you can use to help launch the news blogging project, especially if you're looking at learning goals like media literacy, misinformation, and privacy. Next, we have the how-to blog. Personally, I think the how-to blog is, is pretty up there in terms of my favorites. I also like my idea number three, but I really love idea number two, the how-to blog. How-to blogs are all about sharing how to do something. This podcast episode, for example, it's all about how to incorporate student blogs into the classroom. I really love how-to blog posts. I really love how-to podcasts. I like action items, which I think is why I really like this idea. 
So students can actually write how-to blogs to give instructions or advice to readers. For example, a student might write about how to make a delicious recipe, or how to solve a math problem, or how to manage conflicts in friendships. So any sort of post that is giving instructions or advice is considered a how-to blog. Now, what I like the most about this is that how-to blogs can allow students to demonstrate competency of a specific subject area by teaching content to others in a how-to format. I think that, and many teachers listening can probably agree, one of the best ways for students to actually show their understanding is by teaching the concept. So I really like this idea of a how-to blog being a way for a student to demonstrate competency of a content area. Now for number three, this one is entirely different, but also another favorite, the Genius Hour blog or the Geek Out blog. John Spencer calls them Geek Out blogs, and they're based on Genius Hour where students can explore their own passions, interests, and ideas. John Spencer has really great information on his website all about Geek Out blogs. Highly recommend you check it out. I'll have all of it linked on the episode webpage. I also am really passionate about Genius Hour, which is why I wanted to include this on my list. So in a Genius Hour project, students typically have several weeks where they research topics of their choice and create final products to share with the community, either their school community or the community at large. In a Genius Hour blog, students are still pursuing their interests but they're publishing their work through the form of a blog. Now this allows students to practice these skills that we've been talking about in this episode, reading and writing, digital citizenship, multimedia composition, etc. So a Genius Hour blog still allows students to pursue their passion projects, their interests, the things they're just really excited about, but they're doing it through the form or through the medium of a blog. Now for some educators, The Genius Hour blog might feel too unstructured to try at first, but I personally believe that student-centered projects like this one can still be fundamentally rooted in standards. So before planning your Genius Hour blog project, consider the following questions. First, what standards will students learn? Second, what content areas should students pursue? their hobbies, causes, historical events, etc. And third, how much time will students spend on these blogs? Once a week, once a month, in a three-week intensive format, it's up to you. So even though Genius Hour can feel really open-ended, it's still meant to be rooted in standards. It's still meant to have some parameters around it, so if you, if you feel uncomfortable with the idea of Genius Hour being too unstructured, feel free to skip over this idea. But keep in mind that you can keep it more structured as you'd like. So you can choose a content area for students, like maybe just generally their hobbies or generally causes they care about. 
it's up to you, but you can kind of be flexible around these different parameters based off of what you think makes the most sense for your students, for your teaching style, and for your classroom. So again, for more guidance on Geek Out blogs, visit John Spencer's website. I'll have the blog post specifically linked on the episode webpage. And then if you're looking to get started with Genius Hour, I have a really in-depth blog post breaking down the entire process from start to finish. It's one of my favorite blog posts I think I've ever written. So I will also have that linked for you guys on the episode webpage. Now for my last framework, the Project Progress blog or the Project Process blog. Both names work. Project-based learning oftentimes emphasizes process over product. As students progress through a project or a unit of study, they can provide weekly updates on a blog to track their work. So in what I'm calling a project process blog, students can share updates for their teacher on their goals, questions, and action items each week. Students can also reflect on the project process in a structured format like a blog post. So let me share a specific example in case this is kind of difficult to envision in action. Let's say that students are working on an entrepreneurship unit where they're creating their own businesses. If you were to go with this idea of a project process blog, students might be writing blog posts about brainstorming product or service ideas, business plans and strategies, drafts of logos, business names, prototypes, results from user testing or empathy interviews, updates on final presentation progress, and even reflection on final pitches. So students might write a blog post about each of those different areas I just mentioned, and that would be a really great way for students to track their project process or their project progress. This blog, in other words, is really acting as a portfolio of student work and big bonus here can help the teacher organize and assess student projects. So those are the four different project frameworks or blogging frameworks that I've come up with that I've been inspired to use. So we had the news blog, the how-to blog, the genius hour blog, and the project process blog. Once you've determined which blogging framework best meets your learning goals, you can then begin planning the project logistics. So I mentioned some of those logistics earlier, but the one I want to focus on right now is what tech tools students should use. This is the EdTech Classroom Podcast. You guys know I love EdTech. So I'm going to share three different tech tools that can support student blogging projects. I have a few recommendations for getting started. So first, Blogger. Blogger is a really user-friendly blogging platform that can be accessed with a Google account. Blogger is actually owned by Google, and it has simple design templates and a drag-and-drop interface that allows students to create quality blog posts without any web design experience. So Blogger, when I think about student blogging projects, my mind immediately goes to using Blogger as your tech tool. Another really great tool that you can consider using is called EduBlogs. EduBlogs is also a blogging tool, 
but this one was designed for classroom use. So EduBlogs meets so many needs of teachers because again, it was designed for the classroom. EduBlogs encourages student expression and helps students maintain digital portfolios. And then last, my third suggestion is another Google product, Google Sites. Google Sites is primarily used as a web design tool rather than for strictly blogging, but students can still use Google Sites to create their own blogs. So much like Blogger, Google Sites has an easy and intuitive drag and drop feature, and students and teachers can also collaborate um, using the share and collaboration button that they also have access to on other Google tools like Docs, Slides, and Sheets, etc. Now, one thing that I want to keep in mind with all three of these tools is that all of these sites have varying privacy and security settings and features. So when we're talking about this idea of uploading student work online, please do your own research before using one of these tools in your classroom. You might want this to be private to just your classroom, and you don't want to accidentally publish something to the internet. So just be sure that you're really checking the privacy and security features on all of these different tech tools, or if you choose another one, decide that too. If you're posting things to the internet that anyone can see, make sure you're getting guardian consent. Just do your research before using one of these tools. Um, there's lots of really great affordances to student work being shown to everyone. And there's also some potential negative implications as well. So just something to keep in mind at the end of the day, up to you, up to families at your school, but just something I want to, I feel like I should mention. Now, overall, when I think about the power of a student blogging project, I really get excited because when student blogging is aligned to standards and learning goals, there are so many positive outcomes from, for students, from practicing research and writing skills, to learning how to use a new tech tool, to demonstrating knowledge in a content area, Student blogging can support student learning. And lastly, student blogging amplifies voice and choice. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the EdTech Classroom podcast, all about bringing blogging into the classroom. What other ideas do you guys have? Are there frameworks that you've tried? How have you taught this in a specific subject area? I would love to hear from you guys. You can leave a comment on the episode webpage. You can send me an email, myedtechclassroom at gmail.com. And as always, if you like this podcast episode, if you like my podcast in general, you know what to do. Rate, subscribe, write a review, and I'll see you back here soon. Bye, friends. Thank you.